Hey there, this is Carrie Schaefer, also known as author Carrie Ann King, and you are listening to Tell Me Your Secrets, where I get to take you off the page with the people who make the books we all love to read. Tell Me Your Secrets is produced from live stream video and is owned and copyrighted by Authors on the Air, Global Radio Broadcasting Network. everybody, Carrie Schaefer or Carrie Ann King here with you today, whichever one you know me as and want to call me, I'm good with that. I am super excited to have something a little bit different today and can't wait to introduce you to our guest. Um, this book was brought to my attention by the lovely Annie McDonald, and I am so glad that it was, and I am hoping that you will listen and then you will share this show with um, friends, relatives, and possibly strangers, because I think everybody needs to know about what we're talking about today. So it's going to be interesting and informative and also just um fun because, well, we get to do all the things on this show. So our guest today is Leslie Lair, and I'm going to uh, read a little bit of her bio for you here. Uh, Leslie Lair is the prize-winning author of A Boob's Life, How the American Obsession Shaped Me and You. Called a must-read by Good Morning America, People Magazine, Glamour, and Entertainment Tonight, Salma Hayek's Venta Narosa Productions is developing it as a comedy series for HBO Max. Lair's novels include What a Mother Knows, Wife Goes On, and 66 Laps. She wrote the screenplay for the romantic thriller Heartless and three humorous parenting books, including Welcome to Club Mom. There is so much more I could just go on and on about Leslie. She has had a fascinating life and career, and I'm just going to let her talk to you, though, because I know you'd rather hear from her than me. So I'm going to bring Leslie on right now. Hi, Leslie. Hi, Carrie. Thanks so much for inviting me. Thank you for being here. This is really uh, super exciting. So a boob's life. I mean, first of all, <laughs> with a title like that, where could, where could we not be immediately intrigued? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So tell us a little bit, Leslie, about what this book is about. I, I'm going to just say first, it's kind of like a part memoir, part social commentary, part research. It's something a little bit different than really anything I've encountered before. Yeah, it is a little bit out of the box. Um, it is a memoir by definition, but essentially I use my own life as an example to do cultural analysis of how we got to where we are with our everyone being so obsessed with boobs and people think that we're not. And if you look at all the evidence, we are, and it's affected men and women in ways that we have no idea. And, and I wasn't sure until I was so obsessed when I noticed my boobs were crooked one night that, oh my God, I could look at my whole life of what was going on with my boobs. And my husband accused me of being obsessed. And I was like, no, I'm not obsessed. And then I realized, oh, wow, I am, but I'm not the only one. So right. it, was, it was this, like, I had to figure out why I felt like this. And it was just a little freaky going back. So it was a lot of research and then a lot of funny stories that really had to do with my boobs. I mean, this morning, everybody listening who's a woman had to decide, are we going to push them up? You know, push them down, hide them, wear a bra. I mean, every single day we take for granted, you know, how important they are that men look at them, all those things. So it was, I had to write it the way it 
it was written. There's right. No well, and, and I hadn't realized until I read it and I went back and was reading some of your stories as, you know, you were beginning to be aware of your breasts as a, as a child and the impact they had on the world and power. And it really made me stop and think about a whole bunch of things, you know, from me growing up that I, that I hadn't considered. So yeah, don't talk about it. I mean, everybody has a boob story. We don't talk about it. And it's like, my generation, we're like the first ones really to have training bras. I mean, so that's how strange it is. Suddenly we have to train our bras and, you know, only a certain kind of boob is, you know, the young plump one is the ideal. And yeah, it's a really small win over life. And anyway, so there's, yeah, there's a lot. So I'm what's, glad it made you think about it. What's with that word training bra anyways? Like, you know, I hadn't really thought about it. What are, are we trying to, I, your book made me laugh right there. Are we training them to grow or are we yeah. encouraging? them or we I think it's men who you know I mean all the men who are developing making women's clothing at the time it was an in-between from undershirts to bras with that stretchy white fabric and I wanted it so bad but um you know it was like that's the stage of being a girl of growing up to be a woman and and it was a huge market and a lot of things really came down to money we right. get so you know it's funny because I think you were the opposite of me. You wanted the training bra. Me, I was. I remember being really irritated when my mother started me waking, making me wear a shirt as a child because oh, I liked I liked running around, you know, just in my shorts like my brother, you know, right. when I was five. And then it's like, no, girls have to wear shirts. Whoa. Exactly. Well, there's Why? a picture in my book. The first, what I, when I was starting to think, what's with the boobs? And there's this picture of me when I'm three with my sister who's one and my mom, we're all in red bikinis. And I remember how important it was to keep that red strip of fabric, teeny tiny thing over my nipple. And it was just like, a, I was three. And that's how I realized, oh, these are so taboo. Something's weird because it's like, it was a rule, like brushing your teeth, cover your nipples. Right. And so that's at that age, girls are indoctrinated to know that, you know, something's bad about boobs. Right. Something. Well, and I, I read that and then I was reading on Kindle. So I, I got to the pictures later and then I laughed when I saw the picture because it yeah. really is. It's just a teeny tiny And my sister, my sister could not keep it on hers and it just, it just cracked me up. She was one. You know, but yeah, she couldn't. <laughs> She's like, yeah. Still trying. Yeah. So you have a copy of the book behind you. I see it there. Would you like to bring it a little closer and show yeah, it? Oh, you have one on your there. desk. You're, yeah. Mm -hmm. Such a great cover. So those yeah. of you who are just I'm, catching the podcast. Really shaped like that. So that's when I kind of laid this color. This is that idealized, you know. Well, those are like the bullet. Yes, which were supposedly to protect women from factory work. Like, how could someone sticking out protect you from the factories? It was they were developed during World War II, and then, you know, it's just this whole idealized woman issue the image that we really can't. Right. So, those of you who are just listening on the podcast version, the cover of the book, which you really do oh. need to see, it does it feature. It's kind of like a pinup girl kind yeah. of a, a picture with the real bullet breasts and but without a head. Well, no head. Yeah, the headless well, woman. Are, you know that. I mean, there's 150 nicknames for boobs, and they're that's the deal. It's like we get objectified. People judge women by their boobs, and that's kind of the point of the cover. And it's you know this Americana vintage color because it was kind of unique to America in the last 60 years, and it also you know America influences the world with Hollywood and magazines and things like that. So right. Yeah. I'm so cover. 150 nicknames for boobs. And yeah. how many nicknames are do we have for dicks? 
Dicks. Yeah, that's where I was <laughs> going. Many. I was like, dicks and balls. We, I mean, yeah. we got not much. Not as many. And the jokes about them are usually mean and critical and, and boobs like are, are also, that's the thing about humor is it's making fun of something. And I noticed that with the nicknames that I, I have a book club guide that's a download from my website, LeslieThere.com. And in it, I have like ideas of, you know, fun questions, ideas of wardrobe, different kind of bra situations, but also snacks. And so many of the idea, the snack ideas are from nicknames because a majority of nicknames for boobs are food related. Yeah. And then a lot of them are ammunition. So it's like, we got this life and death situation, the boobs, you know, but notice I didn't call it a breast's life. You no, know? well, no, because that would be a completely different book. Breast is a very serious choice. Yes, yes, it is. And breasts are, boobs are serious, but it's a lot easier to think of them as a, as a separate entity when you say boobs. And it's easier for me to talk about. You know what, we also, we make, we make jokes about things we're frightened of often. True. Um, I, I find that interesting in that, you know, if we were to, I did not mean to go here, but it just occurred to me, you know, I think <laughs> there, there is part of the culture and we, you do get into some, um, feminist stuff in this book, yeah. which I do also want to talk about because I love your brand of feminism. I resonate with that. Um, that there are men who fear the power perhaps of the breast and that may be part of the reason why it is made fun of and given so many nicknames I, that just occurred to me i don't know if that's possible maybe it's a i think it's a really good idea i think women do have this power to create life and breasts are nurturing and men look at a woman's chest it's the first gender identification they see when someone enters the room 200 milliseconds zoom they look at breasts but um it it the size, what doesn't matter in terms of actually making milk and right. humans are the only one mammals who actually have breasts their whole lives. So there's something about them liking them, but also it's a, it allows them to objectify women, but it's also a interesting thing. I've been talking to a lot of, um, you know, magazines in Europe and a lot of trans people and breasts are the first thing you either take off or put on to be right. identified as a woman. And I think there's so much pressure in today's society that a lot of the young girls who are saying I'm gender neutral, you know, there's kind of this upswing and I, I don't know how much is just because we're hearing about it, how much is real, but I think breasts are a big deal because they do say, okay, you have to fit in this box. You have yeah. these responsibilities. And during the pandemic, of course, our ability to nurture was just exponentially taken advantage of. And suddenly we have to try to work or not work and make less money to work less jobs or, and, and also educate the kids. Right. So, so breasts are very, they do they're of a lot of impact. It's personal and it's, it's political. And yeah, I think they're powerful. And maybe that speaks to your point of are men afraid of breasts or they just want to, you know, it is, that's the female gender. So, yeah, it's, it, Okay, so here's another question. You were a novelist before you wrote this book, and it sounds like maybe you're writing another novel now. Did I? Yes, I consider myself a novelist for sure. Right. Yeah. So probably back, you know, a number of years ago, you never thought I'm going to sit down and write a book about boobs. No. So never. What, 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 what triggered this for you? What, what made you write this book? You know, I, I actually, I had written... Uh, New York Times Modern Love piece about um, thinking I was so sexy and suddenly getting breast cancer and being with this guy and almost breaking up with him and, you know, my now husband. And um, it was about breast cancer. And that was all I was ever going to write about boobs. And um, I didn't 
it wasn't until like after I was recovering from breast cancer, I got out of the shower one night and um, realized, saw my boobs were crooked and I had had so many freaking surgeries, you know, all the stuff I'd been through. And then I thought my whole life I could picture as, you know, wanting boobs and then finally getting them, hiding to work, using them to nurse, being flat tested, getting implants, getting breast cancer. It's like, you know, so I, I had to kind of answer the question of, do I want to get them fixed again? Am I really obsessed? And so, and also after chemo, I got to admit, and I know you as a breast cancer survivor as well, that creative side of my brain didn't really come back fast. I, I work with writers all the time. I'm a novel consultant and I was able to do analytical stuff. That side came back really fast. The creative side, not so much. And so I had started a couple things, but my, my consulting business was huge. It was going really well, but when I got out of the shower that night, I thought, oh, oh, okay. I have to figure this out. And the way for me to figure things out is to write. And this is my next book. And I do write personal essays that kind of grow into novels. Right. And so I realized, oh, maybe that modern love thing, even though it was five years ago, really was, or a couple of years ago, was kind of the precursor for writing this book, which has very little to do about breast cancer, although they are you know, important chapters in the book, like two of 19 chapters. But it's, I, I mean, I, I felt it was the weirdest thing that I, I just, I'm not the kind of person like you, I'm not prolific. I don't write a book every year and have series. I really can only write when there's something I got to write about. And this was just a book I had to write. And suddenly it was, I didn't even realize it was a memoir because I really wanted to write like essays about boobs at different stages, but I did all the research and putting the stories together. And it was clearly a memoir with cultural analysis. So right. it was, there was just, but yeah, I don't have any plans to write any more memoirs. No, I like to deal with fiction because there's perfect answers in fiction. You make it work, right? Yeah. yeah. Easy. Well, I always say I, I like fiction because I like to make shit up. I don't like to be Ooh. bound. I don't like to be bound by facts. And I think there's yeah. a lot of truth in um, the, the stories that we can create and, and make up. So, but again, reading the way that you chose to do this book, and here's what I really loved. I was telling Leslie backstage before we uh, came on here to talk to all of you. I don't usually read memoirs and I don't usually read nonfiction, but I am really loving this book because it, it is so beautifully, it's something new, really unique, I think, from anything I've read, where she's told these really beautiful, vulnerable, powerful stories um, from her childhood and all the way up growing up about the, the influence of breasts on, on us as women in our lives and our power. And, um, and then there's sections of statistics and facts and just well, all a, of... Yeah, there's a fact page in between each chapter because right. I feel like for me living and wanting to be Miss America and then, you know, buying a bra at Victoria's Secret and, you know, all those things and Playboy, like looking at my dad's playboys which they had at his college trying out for playboy when i was feeling not beautiful even though i didn't want to show my breasts and didn't even get invited and was insulted right. you know <laughs> i mean all these stories but then it was like I, I had to put together what really happened how playboy evolved and so that's a fact sheet because right. these women are the mega millionaires of models why is there you know they have a diamond crown for us so putting together in between the chapters kind of that were thematic a fact sheet that really shows the whole story was kind of the only way i could say it wasn't my personal experience so i didn't want to load too many facts you know i put as much 
you know, research as I could in my personal stories, but I also am a screenwriter and I wanted them to be entertaining and fun right. and just kind of double back on, here's what was really happening. Here's the Anjali, you know, you can bring them the bacon and fry it in a pan and still, a, you know, attract your man or something. What well, that was happening when I was in college and we sang to that, but wow, here's what was really going on with that commercial. But then I, if it's outside my experience to get the real top story, then I added the fact sheet. So you can right. really step through and see just the facts or get the story in chronology, which goes all the way up to December of 2020. Right. So well, all of it together just works really well, I feel. Yeah. And I, I think it just, um, it, it made me really think. And I think for any men who read it will make them think. As a matter of fact, my, my Viking and I have had conversations about what is this obsession with breasts? I mean, yeah. what, what is that? Yeah. Um, and so there was just a lot of, of light shed in, in this on yeah. that. And, and I think, um, I loved how you did get into feminism with this also in that um, it's it's quality for all of us and how breasts play into that and how they keep yeah. us from it or bring us to it you know it's it's, it's such a complicated and really fascinating it is. weird it's weird it's just weird it is and and the hard thing is that we can't fight biology you know it's biological imperative to want to attract men and for men to want like beauty and for men to be attracted to breasts because yeah. They are what help feed our children, right? Mm -hmm. And yet we've co-opted it to the scent where bigger breasts don't make more milk than other babies. You know, women have breasts their whole life and don't need them their whole life. And um, there's there's not a medical specialty for breasts, you know, even though there are for other, these other organs. And yet we also, we want to be beautiful. So we have this double-edged coin of wanting to kind of be these beautiful people and yet also want to be respected as exactly equal. And so there's really a matter of perspective. And I think that in our culture, if we're just aware of how much we judge not only other women, but ourselves by our bodies and particularly our breasts, because that's the first thing someone can see, then hopefully we can all be treated more fairly and not be bound to these rigid roles. And then it does expand real feminism, as we discussed earlier, isn't just men and women, but all colors, all races, all, you know, all abilities, the disabled, everyone really, if we were just in the same playing field and stop judging people by how they look, how they feel, how they act, you know, and that was the kind of the advantage. I, as I mentioned, this was a tough book to sell. It wasn't just memoir. It wasn't just, you know, narrative nonfiction and people take breasts for granted. So what? Right. But it is also the politics get a little scary. But but by telling my funny stories of really how breasts, I mean, all, all my secrets, a lot of my secrets are in the book. They are. <laughs> and, and when you get but I was lucky that it didn't it originally sold. In, it, I mean, it originally ended in 2018 at my mom's birthday party when all this stuff happened. When I was trying when I finally decided, am I going to fix my boobs or not? Right. And then, but then history kept happening. And so I was able to take the experience my daughters were having, my nieces, and so much had not changed when I thought things were changing and right. their boobs, and some are flat and some are bigger, some wanted boob jobs. And it was like, oh my God, it's still happening. And so I was able to write and continue that last chapter up through Dolly Parton using her boobs for good for the COVID shop. Yes. And Salma Hayek also is a huge feminist and big producer, and but we just see the boobs and she uses that to do good because it attracts attention. So I was able to do, you know, Time's Up, Me Too and, and Black Lives Matter. And just in the last chapter to really funnel up to, yeah, this is how important boobs are starting from 
when we're little girls and have to cover the nipple. So it was right. it was exciting, you know, that the book evolved to that way. So well, and so now you have this really exciting opportunity where it's going to be developed into an, an HBO series. So as a comedy. So it's the flip side is I'm talking to universities, I talked to Rutgers, and I'm hoping to talk to other people in gender studies and women's studies to use it maybe as a textbook and have me talk to, you know, come and talk and body positivity. I, I thought, oh, we're all about body positivity now. But then I realized that's just my Instagram feed. You know, there's still people airbrushing and the competition for young girls is hideous. And, you know, there's still all the fashion stuff that's really a lot of pressure, even though there's more opportunity. But yeah, the TV show is a comedy. So it's really great that breasts represent women in this way. And they're, well, you know how they're making it into a comedy. So my yeah. boobs are going to talk. <laughs> and, um, talking boobs. That's... It's going to be really fun because the boobs are going to be like smart. But like, I think. Oh, I like that. Yeah. I'm going to be like dealing with, oh, I have to do this to get to this and go to this. And then I, I think right now we're just working on the pilot and it takes a really long time. My boobs are going to be like the ones, really? I'm not good enough. Oh, are you swishing? You know, I, I think yeah. we're, it's, we're working it out. It's a, like I said, it's a really long process. The book is my story. So I'm very happy about the TV is going to be made so that it's a really fun and also interesting TV show. And right. um, it's, and also I was able to do the audiobook just came out. So I was able to say, you know, to, to narrate that, but it's for, in terms of the TV show, um, I'm an executive producer, so I'll have some say. Right. And it was weird because then when I was doing the audiobook, I'd never had an audiobook before and reading it, it was bizarre. You know, it's like I can't hear if people are laughing at the funny parts or right. I'm trying not to cry at the sad parts. And and then I swore, and you'll get this as a writer, I will never write so many long sentences. <laughs> all the names, I have lists of women in Playboy who are celebrities. I have lists of women you have no idea who died of breast cancer before oh, I say it. It's like, and they were hard to pronounce all those names. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, and it's really, you did so much with this book. So, you know, narrating your own audiobook that's a whole different art yeah. form right there. I, I mean, had to try out. You <laughs> <laughs> just tried out for your own audiobook. I did it. Cause I was like, just get an actress who can really act it out. And they thought, no, we want it to be authentic, but let's hear how you talk. So oh, yeah. I found a little bit. But I know it's it's really difficult. I'm ever grateful to my narrator. I, most of yeah. my books have been narrated by Terry Clark Linden, and I absolutely adore her. She's yeah, uh, she's, she's absolutely fabulous. We've yeah. uh, collaborated independently on my Carrie Shaper books, and um, she's been hired by my publisher to do my my Carrie Ann King books. So it's been fun. But I just did I did a chapter, one chapter. I recorded myself reading for my readers um, of my last book, and it was hard. My voice it's was all hard. tired. And I was. Well, you don't realize it hurts your throat, and then I realized I like have this ticking noise before sentences and you have to wait and get into the breath before talking and save your breath to emphasize the right words. And, and I do notice I, I I've listened to the first two chapters so far and then I got a little nervous and, um, and then I, but the first chapter my voice is kind of gravelly. And then in the second chapter, Oh, and I'm into it now. I'm smooth. It was the second day of recording, you know, and I knew to have tea with honey and suck on candies and not have real food at lunch because then my stomach's scrawling and you cure my stomach growl. It was crazy. And it was my first outing for COVID. It was the first time I actually saw real people going into this little studio. Oh, wow. And then hearing people, the producers and directors in your head, 
you know, and they, you, and my, my director was like, Oh my God, I laughed so much. And, and I think I wish I could have heard you. Cause I, yeah. know. <laughs> it, it would have helped me. Yeah, engineers say, go, can you say that word again and we'll just drop it in? And it's because I have the California slur or something. So, I don't know. <laughs> but you can listen. Anyone out there, please listen. Let me know if it's safe for me to hear the rest of it. I'm, I'm nervous. Well, congratulations on getting that out there, too. I, I did want to talk about, I mean, you did. You told all your secrets pretty much in the book already you were you were very you know very forthcoming but you did tell me that there might be a little bit you could tell us about almost breaking up with your husband who I just have to say right now he's so lovely <laughs> the way he's portrayed in the book and his pictures he just he, he just seems he's a nice guy yeah, yeah. Um, we were our 10th anniversary was during COVID and so we're just now thinking we would cancel all the plans, you know, and well, we're going to do something. But honestly, I had met him years ago. Um, a friend who knew I was writing in between production stuff had said I had to take his class and I'm not a date your teacher kind of girl. So I, and I was engaged and to my first husband who was married to for 20 years, but he, um, I had, when I got divorced, it was kind of violent divorce. And by the end of the book, you'll see what happened. My ex committed suicide a couple of years ago. He was a trouble guy being on that. And, um, but he, uh, I was divorced and I was completely flat from nursing my kids. I had gone from being not very big to really big and then having these big empty sacks like Eeyore hanging down with like sad, like uh, it was horrible. My mother, and I, but I was like thinking that's what makes me a mother. That shows that I use my chest for my babies. That makes me a good mom being totally flat chested. Even though I would wear like camisoles to hide my nipples, I never took off my top even with my husband for years. And then when I got divorced, um, I didn't really know if I was going to be able to keep writing. I got my master's. I was teaching. I was kind of, you know, doing lots of different jobs and the writer's program consulting. Anyway, um, my mom thought I was deformed. She saw me naked. She had not nursed, you know. What she a thing for a mother to say. Yeah. Oh, my God. Like, mothers. Yeah. She, we were in a dressing room, and she had, was buying, had bought me a dress for my birthday, and I needed a bra, and I didn't fit in any nice bras at all. And she just was like, you know, she thought I was going to be lonely. She has beautiful breasts. My mom has great figure. She never nursed, right? She didn't know what that looked like. So um, I, she thought I'd be lonely without breasts because men like breasts. And I was like, I am, you know, she, she want, thought I should, if I wanted to get implants, she would give them to me as a present. And I was like, I am not a bimbo. No, I will not do that. And then about a year later, um, there was a cancellation in this doctor's office and I went for a consult and I thought, okay, great. Now I know I don't have to do it. I'm an intellectual. Right. And, um, and they're flat chested. See, I'm judging my bot myself, my personality, right. other women by their bodies. If someone has big boobs, they shouldn't be wearing a halter top and they're tacky and slatty and I'm not that way. Right. And so that's horrible. And part of the theme of my book is like, let's not judge each other by our bodies. Let's do what we want to do. Um, anyway. And so, at a moment of weakness, they had had a cancellation and um, I went in and did it. And I begged this doctor, make them small. I just want to be have to fill up these bags. And he was like, to fill up those empty bags, it, you can't pick a size. It's like, I got it. Otherwise, you're going to have like boobs and hanging skin. And so I got the boob job. And of course, they're inflated at first. I called him every day to complain. And um, he said I he had, I was the only person who ever did that, and I was I was like no. And then finally they kind of settled down, and I went and I brought new bras, and they were beautiful. And I actually did feel more confident. I mean, women after breast cancer, 
you know, they bring their, a lot bring their breasts back and, and it's painful. And why would you, it right? It's part of what makes the women beautiful. And I, it was kind of before people were doing tattoos or being more relaxed about not replacing. And, and, but I had this, I, anyway, then I just felt like I loved, I felt more confident. I, in my, my work, it really did make a difference. I didn't show them, but it was kind of just nice to have again. And um, then I started dating my husband and my daughters dressed me up in this lacy top that was like lower than I was comfortable with. I, the whole night I'm like, you know, but he really was so complimentary about my looks. And I had gotten out this horrible divorce where I had, my husband was out of town most of the time when he was in town, he was not nice and um, very critical. And um, this guy was, John was like, so sweet to me and so nice all the time. And then it was like months. I like made him wait for months and get all these health tests before we, you know, slept together. And then we had this weekend plan in Santa Barbara and I could not do it because he did not know my breasts were fake. And I was just like, okay, I really like this guy and he's, I don't, and, and there's other people I could date, you know, and I don't ever want to get married again. So I'm just going to break up with him. And it was like, I kept trying to get a hold of him and he was out of town because he teaches writing and he was traveling the world. And it, I didn't talk to him until that morning. And then it was like, I really wanted the vacation. I hadn't been away from my kids forever. <laughs> I had a babysitter um, and uh, my kids were teenagers. They were happy for me to leave, you know? And um, I just, it was just the most scary, scary night. But yeah, you have to you read it. You read have it. to read it now. Now we're not going to tell you anymore. You have to read yeah. it to find out what it happened. It's a scary situation because, it, it is amazing how much our identity is tied up with it. I um I have my own secret now because I, I was telling Leslie um, before we came on, I don't talk about this very much, but I'm also a breast cancer survivor and I went with the mastectomy. So I had a double and I, it was the same, same as Leslie's story. My first novel was coming out while, while I was doing all of this. And so I did go with reconstruction. It was horribly painful. And while I was in the middle of it, I was like, why, why, why did I do this? Right. But it was too late then. Um, so common. I think that's, it's like, we don't talk about that very much either. I mean, now with social media, people are, but I mean, one in eight women. Yeah. everybody and I didn't know anyone who had it and now suddenly it's like oh my god and you notice even like old movies famous movies when a girl dies or a woman dies they don't say what it is it's right. women's disease but it's breast cancer because right. it's a freaking plague you know right. 300,000 women are going to get it this year and ironically 300,000 women will also get breast implants interesting yeah. interesting correlation so this is our point where we both tell you go get your mammogram Yes. And if you are uneasy or uncomfortable and your doctor doesn't seem to be telling you what you think you want to know, get a second opinion. That's the other thing I'm going to tell you. Um, yes. And take care of yourself. For me, I, what I really learned the most from it is that I had, did not have the gene or anything. I mean, and I thought I was, I was as healthy as I could be. Right. But I think that there is, there was discovered a chemical ATF gene. I think that's a trigger. It's a stress-related trigger for breast cancer. And women, with all our responsibilities, brings us back to the caretaking feminism thing. We have got to take care of ourselves. It's survival. Because right. if we go down, everybody goes down, you know? So it's right. really, self-care is a big deal. 
And that right there is a really nice segue to something that I need to remember to tell you that um, both Leslie and I are involved in a special day at World of the Right Review on June the 25th. It's a whole right. women's women's empowerment day. And Leslie's going to be talking to Annie about um, some women's empowerment stuff. I'm going Oops. to be <laughs> I'm going to be doing a um a little class on I think what did we call it I'm trying to think you're already awesome you just don't know it yet and so kind of talking through a little bit of uh getting past negative self-talk which a lot of us do a lot of and there'll just be all kinds of awesome things so check into the world of the right review if you haven't done that already join that group and be there on june 25th leslie um wow we time has gone really fast i do want to talk to you a little bit about what do you have going on now you're writing another book i believe is that i am i have to tell you promotion is so fun, but it's so overwhelming. And it's this completely different head from writing. Yeah. It's crazy. And and yet, you know, you, you I'm so excited about this book. And I feel like there's important parts and fun parts. And I, I want to keep doing as many interviews as I can and get out there and do talking. And yet I like, and also I have clients for my day job because you never know how many books are going to sell. And yeah. I love working with writers. For me, that's the easiest part. In fact, my husband is working on a project now and I'm, I'm editing his chapters. And, you know, so we're all... That analytics side is very gratifying, and yet got to be writing. Yeah. And I, I was working on another novel, a novel I kind of wanted to write all my life, and I had to wait for some people to die. And but I'm not going to write the true story because fiction allows me to do more interesting things with it. It's a period piece um, based in the late '60s, and um, it's I'm it's very complicated story, and it, I was so immersed with it, and I'm now just trying to get back today i like worked on like two pages of it i'm in the middle of the second draft and um i'm really looking forward to hopefully having more time to write and it's a weird transition to get from the promotion back to writing but that i really do write because i have to and for any want to be writers out there don't do it unless you got to because it's hard <laughs> incredibly satisfying great but, <laughs> it's, it's hard it's awesome Kind of like having boobs, really. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so I am just starting to get back to that. And um, it's hard to get into that whole immersion thing because I have four different characters with different points of view and period piece. So I'm hoping to kind of roll into that more as, as the summer goes. And nice. um, it's fun because, like you say, I don't have to be careful about what really happened and the order and picking and doing research and backing it up. It's I get to make it up. I mean, it is based on real stuff, but it's it's, it's fun. Yeah, that's great. I'm really glad. And then I want to make sure that everybody knows where to find you. So you do have a website and I think it's just lesslielair.com. Is that that right? Right. And and I also am on Instagram at lesslielair1 and Facebook author Leslie Lair and also Twitter. You know, you can find me if you Google a boob's life, you will find me. And and I do have a newsletter, not as prolific as yours. Um, And I actually, I just did a blog, uh, um, the new newsletter, if you sign up, you'll still get it about um, why audiobooks are so incredibly fun for summer. Right. And it just comes out once a month, which kind of updates you on the TV show and all that kind of stuff. And different awesome. Yeah. I'll, get- I'll put this up there too on my website. Perfect. That's great. And then those of you who are listening to this on the podcast version, Leslie's name is spelled L-E-S-L-I-E, last name Lair, L-E-H-R. So if you're looking for her, the last name is L-E-H-R, and that's she's easy to find. 
Um, yeah. So, and that, and that's fantastic. The, the book is great. I look forward to reading novels now because yeah, you know, that's fun too. And too. I that's really appreciate Pardon, sorry. Novels fill me up. You know, I like the <laughs> yeah. between. I like that they get back to novels and they inspire me to write more and write better too. Right, right. I'm with you. Um, also doing the conflict between the writing and the promo. They're they're two yeah. very they're two very different parts of the brain. So you're doing it all the time. You're you are constantly writing and promotion and these generous shows with authors that you do. So I well, thank you so much. I love these shows because I get to meet people like you. Uh, this was fantastic. I really enjoyed this. this is, uh, the book really made me think too. So I want to thank you for that. That was thank fabulous. You. Thank you for being here today. Those of you who are with us now watching, thank you. And anybody listening later on the podcast, again, thanks for being part of our worlds. Uh, I'll be back again next week, I believe, with another guest. So check in and see what um, we've got going for you then. And love your boobs. <laughs> yeah, That's yeah a lot of work. Take care of them. <laughs> yes, it's a big life for all of us. Thank you so Thanks, much, Leslie. Bye, Thanks, Gary. Bye.